Hello, my Rebels. Today, I do a bit of a recap on last night's election. Not a lot has changed. There were a few wonderful moments, like when Marion Monsev was sacked by the good people of Peterborough. There's a very tight race, a nail-biter in Vancouver Granville. Uh, depends who will pick up. Uh, turn, uh, what, what turns on it is who will succeed uh, Joey Wilson-Raybould as the MP for that riding. Uh, I'll also tell you what it means for civil liberties when Justin Trudeau uh, basically declares war on his remaining media opponent, namely us Rebel News, and uh, we'll show you all about that. Um, during the course of the election, we made our paywall show free to the public because we thought it was important, but we're going back to the paywall now. So I'd like to invite you to consider subscribing to the video version of the podcast. The audio version is free. Enjoy. But if you want to see the video version, which I do recommend, just go to rebelnewsplus.com. Click subscribe. It's eight bucks a month. You get my show, Sheila's show, David's show, Andrew's show, lots of shows. You get the video version and the satisfaction of helping keep Rebel News strong. All right, here's today's podcast. Tonight, it's the day after Canada's unnecessary election. What's changed for the world and for us? It's September 21st, and this is the Ezra Levant Show. Why should others go to jail Why? when you're a biggest carbon Ezra. consumer I know? There's 8,500 customers here, and you won't give them an answer. The only thing I have to say to the government about why I publish it is because it's my bloody right to do so. Hey, welcome back. I hope you tuned in last night, at least for part of our election night live stream. We were live for almost five hours. I was out here in Toronto. Sheila Gunn-Reed was based in the West. And we talked to our correspondents across the country. Drea Humphrey in Vancouver, Adam Sos in Calgary and the rural parts. Uh, we talked to Alexa Lavoie, who flew to Saskatchewan, where Maxime Bernier's People's Party had their headquarters. And David Menzies uh, was in the greater Toronto area, Richmond Hill to be precise, following an interesting race there. Andrew Chapados joined us from his home in the Toronto area. We had lots of people chiming in throughout the day, showcasing some of the amazing talent that Rebel News has put together over the last year. You know, I counted up all the people who work for Rebel, who are either on TV, on camera, full-time or part-time, uh, in Canada alone, I'm not even talking about our friends in Australia or our new friend in the UK. In Canada alone, we have 17 people who at least occasionally appear on camera. By that, I mean, uh, maybe their main job is editing, but they're on camera from time to time. So we deployed the largest force ever. And I really had fun last night taking questions. Our primary forum last night was rumble.com. We also live streamed on odyssey.com and a Canadian channel called superu.net. That was in addition to our traditional YouTube channel, because as you know, YouTube is slowly, slowly starving us, throttling us. They're going to eventually kill us. So we're trying to migrate most of our viewers onto other platforms. And last night we had more than double the number of people watching us on Rumble than on YouTube. At the end of the night, I added it up and we had 189,000 people who tuned in to Rebel News to get their information. That, that's amazing. And I saw this still image uh, from, I think it was Global TV, reporting from the scene 
on Maxine Bernier's uh, headquarters. Look in the background. That's us. That's our Rebel News live stream was what they were piping in to PPC headquarters. I don't blame them. You know, the number one question that the journalist at Maxine Bernier's headquarters had to ask wasn't about his incredible surge from, you know, pre-campaign of about one and a half percent to over five percent, like tripling his party's support, having mass rallies and inspiring what I think is a grassroots movement. They had nothing to ask him about that. They were asking why he wasn't wearing masks. I kid you not. Listen to these reporters on the election night whining about masks, which you know they don't wear except for when it's for performance art. Take a look at this. Here in Saskatchewan, we're about a week away from starting the pre Do you feel that this is an irresponsible event because there's no masks? Or what are your thoughts on holding a gathering like this during the time where uh, we are about a week, a week and a half away from starting a triage people in Saskatchewan? First of all, we must admit that unvaccinated people are not dangerous. You know, everybody is in the same boat. Vaccinated people and unvaccinated people. Everybody can spread the virus. That's based on science. That's based on common sense. So that being said, there's no way to do more discrimination and segregation in this country. We will fight always for our freedoms. And we, we want people to be able to decide if they want to wear a mask or not, and if they want to have the vaccine or not. And we're, we don't want to live in a more uh, socialist country. And we don't want to live in a country where, where everybody will have to show their papers like in communist China. That's not our country. That's a fight that we always do. And that's why we are doing politics differently. We want to be sure that Canadians understand that this election is an important one. It's, it's, it's about our rights and our freedoms. And the next one uh, will be there and will be, always be there to fight for what we believe openly with passion and conviction. Given Saskatchewan's high numbers, why did you decide to come here tonight? We decided to come here tonight because we have a lot of support in Western Canada. And, you know, look at the numbers, but look at the debts. You know, numbers can be high everywhere, but uh, I, we're not in an emergency uh, state right now. After more than one year, there's no emergency. We must be able to go back to our lives. And that's not the case right now in a lot of provinces like here. And uh, I'm, I'm the only real opposition in this country that will fight for freedom. Everything that is happening right now here, it's unconstitutional, illegal, immoral, and unjust. We have to, we are putting people in a different uh, uh, two classes of citizens. Vaccinated one that are supposed to be the good one, and unvaccinated one that are supposed to be the bad one. We want to unite Canadians under the freedom umbrella. Everybody must be free to do what they want to do with their life, and there's no emergency anymore. Look at the debt in this country. And on command, the Saskatoon police actually tweeted that they were on the file. A uh, serious crime being committed. Apparently, there's no crimes being committed in all of Saskatchewan, but they wanted to, well, they didn't dare arrest Maxime Bernier, or would they? He was arrested at the behest of Manitoba's premier uh, a few weeks ago, and that was fined by the media. Um, we had a great night in terms of what Rebel had done. We had covered the news. We had the best... Uh, questions in the leaders debate during the campaign we had to fight our way in there but at the end of the night although it yo-yoed a bit throughout the evening as you know today the results of the election were almost exactly in terms of seat counts what they were before the election was called almost nothing changed other than the taxpayers out close to a billion dollars um I want to show you a couple of uh, clips from that, and we'll talk to Spencer Fernando later. 
Here's Justin Trudeau claiming that he has some sort of mandate to proceed. Take a look at this. Thank you all. You are sending us back to work with a clear mandate to get Canada through this pandemic and to the brighter days ahead. And my friends, that's exactly what we are ready to do. A mandate? He won the election with 32%, the lowest percentage that any Canadian government, federal government in history has won. And yet, because of our quirky past, first past the post system of how it's all added up, that 32% was enough to put him in charge. Never before has it happened with such a low count. And by the way, voter turnout was down, I guess partly because of people afraid to go out from the COVID, I think. Also partly because it was cold during the summer. I don't know. I think people were just frustrated by the lack of choice. That's what I would say. Um, but the voter turnout was down significantly. And so even though Justin Trudeau got about 30% of the vote, he did so in a much, voter small, a much smaller voter pool. In fact, he received about 1.5 million votes less than he had last time. And yet he's claiming a mandate. In fact, here's his senior global warming strategist hired from the Tides Foundation, is where she came from. Here she is crowing on Twitter that this is a mandate to proceed even more dramatically on the global warming fire. I'm not sure if it's that, but I think Trudeau will um, do what he always wants to do. I mean, he didn't, uh, if you listen to when he said he believed in China's basic dictatorship, remember how he finished that sentence. It was so they could do environmental action twice as fast as um, a democracy with checks and balances could. So here's, here's that full quote where he talks about using the basic dictatorship to ram through environmental uh, ideas. Look at this. The level of, of uh, admiration I actually have for China, um, because their you know, basic dictatorship is allowing them uh, to actually turn their economy around on a dime and say, we need to go green as fast as we need to start you know, investing in solar. Yeah, so I don't think Trudeau has a mandate. But uh, really, if the NDP and the Bloc and even Aaron O'Toole are all in agreement, agreement on the basic principles, a carbon tax is good. We got to transition off the oil sands. We somehow think that the Paris global warming meeting that the UN had is binding on us. There really is no difference of opinion amongst the old school parties on any of this. So maybe Trudeau actually does have a mandate in that Tweedledee, Tweedledum, and all the other thinkalikes in the party leadership, they're all on board with that. I was desperate for some good news last night, and I found it in the little city of Peterborough, Ontario, which is quite a lovely city. And if you ever have the chance, just go there. You'll be surprised what a lovely town it is. And I have to say my esteem for Peterborough, which was always there, it reached new heights yesterday when they threw out Miriam Monsef, the woman who just weeks ago in a prepared script, this was not a, a gaffe, this was not her extemporaneously riffing, she said the Taliban were her brothers. Remember this? I want to take this opportunity to speak to our brothers, the Taliban. We call on you to ensure the safe and secure passage of any individual in Afghanistan out of the country. Yeah, that's just so gross. Remember, she, of course, was a liar who lied on her refugee application, claiming she was from Afghanistan 
as opposed to Iran, which is the truth. Here's Bob Fife asking her about that. And look at her lie. She's such a bad liar. So you were born in Afghanistan, correct? I believe I was. Well, Trudeau didn't throw her out right then and there, which he should have done. But the good people of Peterborough uh, took out... Uh, took care of that business last night, and I congratulate them. That's the one shining light for me. On the other side of the country, in a lovely riding, again, I'm just, if you've ever been to Vancouver, you've simply got to go to Granville Island, especially if you like the snack, which rumor has it I do. Um, the outgoing MP there, of course, was Jody Wilson-Raybould, perhaps the most ethical MP of our age, someone who was the justice minister and gave it all up because she wouldn't go along with Justin Trudeau's corrupt plans. Well, that riding, uh, given that Jody Wilson-Raybould was no longer running again, uh, it was an open seat. And the Liberals ran a star candidate called Tlaib Nurmohammed. And it was revealed that he is a schemer and a scammer who made his living speculating, buying properties and flipping them, never taking possession of them, flipping them to families who desperately needed them, but he would buy them up flipped them and resell them at a higher price. He did this over 40 times. This, even though that city was the center of Trudeau's plan to reduce housing costs, it's scammers like this. And I don't know if there was any criminality. I don't know if there was mortgage fraud involved. Believe me, I think there should be an investigation because it's so irregular. Who buys and sells 42 houses over the course of a couple decades? But listen to this crooked little liberal evading and fibbing and dodging and weaving when he was asked basic questions about it. Look at this. How much have you profited on those 25 in the past decade? I mean, I'm not, uh, you know, I think it's important to talk about, uh, I'm going to answer that question again, so I'm going to be sure. Yeah. How much have you profited on those sales? I, when you ask, I'm going to give me a second to just make sure I have the right um, okay, so, sorry, ask me the question again, sir. Yeah. Okay. How much have you profited, personally or business-wise, on the sales of those 25 properties in the last decade? While I can't give you an exact number, what I can tell you is that it is by no means the number that has been put forward, but what I can also tell you is that I am absolutely committed to any and all measures that we have put forward that would, that would apply. Well, I sure wish Jody Wilson-Raybould had been running as an independent. I think she would have won uh, because Tlaib Nurmohammed, that crooked guy you saw there, is within 1% of the win all night. It was between him and actually the local NDP candidate. And as of this morning, when I last checked the count, I think there was one poll outstanding, uh, Tlaib Nurmohammed, that crooked liberal, was ahead by like 1%. I think it's close enough that there may be an automatic recount but it's it's just quite something if Tlaib Nurmohammed wins again for that riding, Vancouver Granville, wonderful place to go from the most ethical MP in Canada, Jody Wilson-Raybould, to a confessed crook who is brazen about it. Imagine switching such a polarity. I've got whiplash just thinking about it. Um, now... <laughs> As the polls were about to close, they were still open and voting in Western Canada was still open. Uh, Aaron O'Toole, his campaign bosses, started spinning their defeat. As in they had allowed themselves to hope and to whisper to anyone who would listen that they had a real chance of winning the election. They said that just a couple of weeks ago. And indeed, pollsters seemed to show that had the election been called two weeks ago, O'Toole would have likely won a minority government. 
Well, last night you could see the campaign chairman, Walid Solomon, who is famous for working with that corrupt uh, other Ontario politician, Patrick Brown, uh, the short-lived leader of the provincial Conservative Party. Walid Solomon told the Toronto Star before polls had closed that, no, 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 uh, it's not going to be a blowout. And it's simply a win to stop Trudeau from getting a majority. I mean, he basically was trying to spin his own disastrous campaign. You can see the headline right here. About two weeks ago is when uh, Aaron O'Toole panicked. The Liberals were coming at him with the old reliable accusations. You're going to ban abortion. You're going to give every child a gun or whatever insane things they cooked up. And the answer, of course, is to not to play that game, to choose your own controversies on purpose. And O'Toole actually had one or two of those when he said he would raise Canada's flags again. He would oppose tearing down statues. You know, that's a mild controversy, but it is controversial in these days to say you'll stand by Canadian icons. But instead of choosing his controversy, like saying, oh, I'm really against the concept of lockdowns. I think we have to move away from a punishment uh, approach. I, I think we have to respect civil liberties. Like, you don't even have to go full Ron DeSantis. Instead of choosing those controversies, he allowed himself to get bogged down, especially on the firearms question. And he managed to confirm all of the suspicions in the media by changing his platform on the fly in response to liberal and media demands that he agree with the liberals on everything they have to say about guns, about firearms, and he did. So he blinked, he showed weakness, he confirmed the accusations by basically agreeing to them, and he demoralized his own party. I think that's the moment where O'Toole fell back. And of course, it was just like his decision to fall back on carbon taxes, which he calls carbon levies. I mean, the question is, if you are indistinguishable from the liberals, why wouldn't people just vote for the liberals? They're better at being liberals. Now, one of the things that uh, the polls generally got right, but that I got wrong, was the PPC, the People's Party, led by Maxime Bernier. There are a few outlier polls, a few rogue polls, especially ones done by Frank Graves of Ecos. And I should have remembered that Frank Graves is a extremist partisan, really strange for a pollster, the, the Twitter wars he gets in, into. He's a bought and paid for liberal. In fact, he gives private advice to the liberal party, which is so odd for a pollster to do. So when he said in his polls that Maxime Bernier's party was at 10, 11, 12 percent, I allowed myself to think, well, maybe that's true. I didn't discount it, realizing that Ecos is the least reliable pollster. So when the Maxime Bernier vote came in, it was not 10%. It was more like 5%, a little bit higher than that. And no doubt, that was a huge success to triple the party's support, more than double the Green Party's support, and smashing any attempt by the future debates commission to keep out Maxime Bernier and the People's Party, though they'll rig the rules again. So I was disappointed in the People's Party outcomes. There were some ridings where they had double digits, and there were definitely some ridings when the People's Party clearly stopped the Conservative Party from winning. Now, Aaron O'Toole in the final weeks of the campaign condemned Maxime Bernier and the People's Party and said a vote for Bernier is actually a vote for Trudeau. But that's not really true because voters aren't owned by any party. They, especially Maxime Bernier's supporters, tend to be policy-driven. They tend to be ideas-driven. They don't owe their allegiance to some stranger named Aaron O'Toole who they only just heard of and who seems to sell out on every issue. I think that if Aaron O'Toole had been warmer towards those disaffected uh, people 
and talked more about the language of freedom and even gently opposed lockdowns and vaccine passports, I think he would have picked up one, two, three percent of those five percent that went for Bernier. And I think he would have had a few more seats. More than that, he would have chosen his own controversies rather than letting the media party choose a controversy for him. But I have to say, I think that Maxime Bernier has built a movement. Now, the locus, the place of that movement, it's actually not in his own riding of Quebec. If you look in his riding of Beauce, Quebec, he fell back. He wasn't even in contention. Maxime Bernier was the strongest in the prairies, in Alberta and Saskatchewan and some Ontario ridings. I think that's interesting. I think he's built a movement. We have a friend named Viva Fry. He's a YouTuber. His real name is David Fry Hyde. He's a thoughtful law blogger. And he ran as a People's Party candidate. And of course, hundreds did. And I think it transformed them into perpetual activists. I think Maxime Bernier really is creating a movement. Whether or not he can turn that movement into a party is yet to be seen. Um, so what now? Well, I showed you that Justin Trudeau claims he has a mandate based on his 32%. But uh, I think he will act that way. I mean, he always has acted that way. Nothing stops him. You heard him of what he likes about China's basic dictatorship. I think the greenhouse gases, war on fossil fuels, absolutely will continue. There's a lot of lobbyist money behind that, and Trudeau is nothing if not a globalist. But I think you're going to see the vaccine passports proceed with a vengeance. And finally, I think you're going to see Trudeau's censorship come forward. And I want to play for you uh, a clip. And I've shown this to you several times, but it's worth watching many times. You know the one I'm talking about. It's Alexa Lavoie asking Justin Trudeau a question, and uh, a legitimate question about immunity. Um, if you get COVID and recover from it, your natural immunity in various studies is many times stronger, according to Israeli studies, than vaccine immunity. It was a legit question, great question about the vaccine passport. But Trudeau, his answer, which cheered the left, I'll, I'll talk about his answer in a second. Here, remember this clip? Bonjour, Monsieur Trudeau, Alexa, pour uh, Rebel News. Donc, Monsieur Trudeau, je vais revenir rapidement sur ce qui s'est passé hier. Vous avez dé diabolisé l'un des rares médias qui ne reçoit pas d'argent du gouvernement. Vous avez exprimé votre opinion en disant que nous propageons la désinformation. Si c'était vrai et si c'était le cas, la Cour, la Cour fédérale ne nous aurait pas permis d'être ici aujourd'hui. Je suis moi-même scientifique et je me base sur les faits. Ma question est la suivante. L'Israël est l'un des pays les plus vaccinés au monde. Ils sont rendus maintenant à leur quatrième rappel de vaccin. Ils ne considèrent plus que ceux qui ont reçu deux doses de vaccin sont pleinement vaccinés. Ma question est, plusieurs Québé euh, Canadiens ne désirent pas avoir une, un rappel de, de vaccin. Allez-vous leur enlever leurs privilèges reliés au passeport vaccinal? Et aurez-vous l'obligeance de répondre à ma question en tant que premier ministre ou allez-vous encore diaboliser mon média? J'ai partagé ma perspective sur ton organisation euh, hier soir. J'ai plus rien à dire. Ça demande bien qui vous êtes. Merci. So besides Trudeau not being able to handle strong women, and we know that, he sacked Jody Wilson-Raybould, he sacked Jane Philpott, he sacked Selena Sager-Chavan. He's just not good with women who have strong opinions. It's something he uh, picked up from his father, who unfortunately used to beat his mother. But Justin Trudeau, he showed not only that he wouldn't or couldn't answer the substantive question, and he 
couldn't handle Alexa's question. But there was something more important because we had just been allowed into that debate by order of the federal court. Remember that Trudeau's handpicked debates commission had spent two years scheming and strategizing legal ways to keep us out, but only us. And how do you possibly make a rule that only keeps rebel news out, but not all their liberal friends? There was really no way to do it other than what I call a bill of attainder. That's an old fashioned way of saying a law that applies to one guy. They basically said everyone's allowed in, including foreign press, including state owned foreign press. Everyone's allowed in except rebel news. Well, the federal court struck that down quickly and it was wonderful to have a judge from Newfoundland struck down that, strike down that Ottawa Old Boys Club. Seven lawyers on the government side, we beat them. So there we are, Alexis asking the question, and the context is we were just ordered in there against Trudeau's wishes by the federal court, and yet he says that he will not answer Alexa, and here's a little bit of his answer earlier when Tamara Ugolini asked him the same thing, and listen to how he says, you are not journalists. So, so you saw the question from Alexa, and his answer saying, I've already said what I have to say to you. Here's Tamara's question and the answer to her. I have a question from Tamara Ugolini from Rebel News. Mr. Trudeau, the only reason that I'm allowed to ask you this question is because today the federal court ruled that the government doesn't have the right to determine who is or is not a journalist. This is the second election in a row that the court had to overturn your government. Do you still insist on being able to make that decision and why? First of all, questions around accreditation were handled by the press gallery and the consortium of uh, networks who have uh, strong perspectives on quality journalism and the important information that is shared with Canadians. Uh, the reality is organizations, organizations like yours uh, that continue to spread misinformation and disinformation on the science around vaccines, around how we're gonna actually get through this pandemic and be there for each other and keep our kids safe is part of why we're seeing such um, unfortunate uh, anger and lack of understanding of basic science. And quite frankly, your, I won't call it a media organization, your group of uh, individuals uh, need to take accountability for uh, some of the polarization that we're seeing in this country. And I think Canadians uh, are cluing into the fact that uh, there is a really important decision we take about the kind of country we want to see. And I salute all extraordinary hardworking journalists that put science and facts at the heart of what they do and ask me tough questions every day, uh, but make sure that they are educating and informing Canadians from a broad range of perspectives, which is the last thing that you guys do. So did you catch that? The federal court just said we were journalists. The federal court just said we are as good as anyone else. And by the way, Trudeau was lying when he says we engage in misinformation. We've never been tagged with misinformation by any fact checker, by any social media company on the issues of vaccines or the pandemic. That's just a lie. In fact, Trudeau was tagged during this campaign for media manipulation by Twitter. But it's not whether or not he's right and wrong or wrong. We think he's wrong, he thinks he's right, that's fine. But his answer showed 
that he doesn't care what the courts say. The ruling from the court was still hot off the presses. The ink wasn't dry on it. We were journalists and were to be accredited. And in the face of that, he said, you are not even journalists. Well, the court just said we were. And you just showed you don't care what the court says. Do you doubt such a man will bring in his censorship law against us? And do you think that Aaron O'Toole will stop him? <laughs> if you do, let me remind you what Aaron O'Toole's hand-picked critic for Heritage has to say. Here's Alain Reyes saying, we need more censorship. Take a look at this. But on, on le voit pas dans le but we don't see it in the bill. There's nothing in this bill that allows for the regulation of social media or platforms like YouTube. And it's clear, we, uh, we would have liked to have seen this in the bill. The minister even says we have to find a way of uh, uh, preventing hate speech, uh, conspiracy uh, theories, and uh, fake news that's uh, shared. But right now in the bill, unfortunately, uh, we won't even be able to amend it in that aspect, and because it's simply absent from the bill. So where does that leave us now, the day after the election? Well, in many ways, it leaves us no different than we were before the election. Although Trudeau's claiming a mandate, well, he would have claimed that anyways. But I think he's gonna move with great fury to bring in a national vaccine passport and a lockdown on those who don't comply with his big pharma plan. I think he's gonna spend the money that his advisors tell him to on a green scheme and phasing out the oil signs. I think he absolutely will. And I think he's going to come for the media he hates the most. That's us here at Rebel News. And we're going to fight him every step of the way. But we're not going to be distracted from our other mission, fighting vaccine passports, which is now the largest civil liberties legal project that we've ever engaged. As you know, our Fight the Fines project had over 2,000 clients that we helped. And we're still fighting those. But fighting vaccine passports, although we won't have 2,000 individual cases, each battle we fight could affect dozens, hundreds, or even thousands of people. I spent about half my day here at Rebel News working on that fight vaccine passports question, assembling law firms or lawyers across the country along with our other teammates. And I believe that that is the important work we must do in the months ahead. Because if we don't, <laughs> Who's going to? Stay with us for more. Welcome back. Well, a pundit who I follow religiously. I follow him on Twitter. I am a subscriber to his SpencerFernando.com website is Spencer Fernando. And he joins us now via Skype from Winnipeg. Great to see you. Uh, what do you make of last night? It's incredible to me that the results were so similar to what they were in the last election, almost down to the exact number. Yeah, obviously a huge waste of time and money, as I said on Twitter. And, uh, you know, I mean, I guess, you know, people can say, you know, it's, it's good that Trudeau didn't get a majority. That's really the only good thing we can say about the election. I mean, otherwise, it's he's still going to be the prime minister, unfortunately. Uh, O'Toole certainly failed. Jagmeet Singh failed. You know, we saw what happened to Annamie Paul. So I don't think anyone really has any uh, you know, reason to be too happy about what happened. It's kind of a loss for everybody. Yeah, I, I thought the strangest comment last night was from Justin Trudeau, who, who got about 32 percent, the lowest number of any winning party in Canadian history. 
He had about a million and a half votes fewer this time than last time because voter turnout was was down. And he said, we have a clear mandate. And I just chuckled because I thought, if this is a clear mandate, what, you know, I mean, um, what would it take for him to realize he doesn't have a clear mandate? I I think that he's going to do whatever he wants. He thought he could grab a majority. He didn't. But I don't think this is going to change his plans one iota. What do you think? Well, yeah, I mean, you look at the Liberals and NDP together, they have a majority of seats, right? And the NDP, yeah, I'm sure they're not, not going to want an election for a while. And Trudeau's going to give them everything they want. I mean, their agendas are pretty lined up lately, especially given how far he's moved to the left and how Jagmeet Singh has really been willing to support most of what Trudeau does. So, yeah, sure, he doesn't technically have a majority, but he's going to be able to pass whatever, you know, left-wing legislation he wants. Yeah, I'm worried he's going to bring in that censorship legislation. I'm, I, I want to play for you a clip from his victory speech last night, if you can call it that, because maybe this is just generic outreach. When you win an election, you, you try and seem magnanimous in victory to those who didn't vote for you. And in this case, the 68 percent of Canadians who did not vote for him. Uh, I wonder if there's anything more in it, because, of course, Trudeau has been demonizing people who are not vaccinated. He implies that they're unclean and have to be punished. Take a listen to this clip from Trudeau. And Spencer, my question for you is, is this just generic, hey, I'm the prime minister for everyone, you know, uh, is that just a generic statement, like a Hallmark greeting card, don't read too much into it? Or does this imply that maybe he's going to uh, be a little bit less antagonistic to those who don't want the vax? Take a listen. And if you did not vote for us, I want you to know that we will stand up for you and work for you every single day. Because no matter how you voted, just like no matter where you come from, what language you speak, the color of your skin, the way you pray, I hear you. I hear you when you say that we can only move forward if no one is left behind. Our shared future is built vote by vote, door by door, and above all, person by person. Spencer, so he's talking about not leaving anyone behind, not discriminating based on the way you pray, etc. I notice he didn't, I mean, he listed some of the things that are protected in our chart of rights, uh, religion, race, gender, etc. I notice he did not talk about medical status about vaccination status. So he's trying to be the healer, come together, leave no one else behind. He didn't mention unvaxxed people. What do you think? Do you think there's a deeper meaning there? Or are these just cliches and I shouldn't read too much into it? Yeah, I mean, I think it's all really bullshit from him at this point. Uh, we saw the kind of campaign he ran. I mean, look, one, the second he started to think he was losing in the election, he ran the most us versus them demonizing, using a lot of rhetoric we've actually seen that's quite dangerous throughout history, you know, to pit, you know, part of the population against another. So, of course, when he wins, it's easy to play the nice guy when you're the winner, right? Everyone's happy. Oh, I already won. I'm still in power. So I'll be nice today. But it, it, no, it doesn't mean anything to me. He's he showed, you know, who he really was. And that's a divisive person who will pick Canadians against each other for his own political gain. And I don't think we should, you know, expect anything uh, other than that from him. Yeah. You know, I, I just recently rewatched the film American Psych Psycho. <laughs> And the 
the crazy talk of the star mm -hmm. of that movie, um, sociopathic, uh, say mm -hmm. anything um, to get through the moment, really reminded me of Justin Trudeau. And I'm not implying that he's a psychopath. I don't think he is. But I think he is someone who is a manipulator and who will literally say anything in the moment for temporary advantage. And I think last night he wanted to look prime ministerial, but I think he's going to be as brutal as ever. And, and I think he's going to proceed on his vaccine passports. I think he's going to proceed on the censorship. Let me switch gears, though, Spencer. I want to ask you about the conservative leader, Aaron O'Toole. There was a moment there in the campaign where he looked like he might actually pick up seats. There was a moment where pretty much all the polling suggested he would win uh, a minority. At, at, uh, and there was a, a little bit of hope there. Um, I'm not sure why it didn't happen. I have my own theories. But here's what Aaron O'Toole said in his, I'm not going to call it a victory speech, his I don't know if you call it a concession speech, uh, but, but here's what he said. And and I, I show you this language because this is the language he used when he uh, dedicated the party to a carbon tax over the wishes of the party membership that, who had just voted against it. You might recall there was a policy convention a few months ago. Uh, O'Toole wanted to have his uh, liberal light carbon levy in there. The membership were against it, and O'Toole said, I don't, I'm not going to listen to you, and you guys have to change. Listen to that language here again. We have shown ourselves to have the courage to be, to be bold and to have the courage to change. We must hold fast to that courage. We must show Canadians that we will not waver in our commitment to growth. The courage to change. Now, he talked a little bit earlier about different racial and religious groups. Listen, the Conservative Party is as diverse as any party. I, I don't think any serious critic uh, doubts that. I mean, that's some bad faith CBC types who might call the party racist. So I, I know he's not talking about having more diversity in the party. It's very diverse. I think when he says the courage to change and um, to keep growing, I think he means to keep changing the party policy so it's not quite as conservative. I think that's what that means. I notice he didn't throw a bone to PPC voters, many of whom had, you know, are refugees from the Conservative Party. That's my take. What do you make of that comment by O'Toole? Yeah, well, I mean, it's a good point you make about how diverse the party was. I mean, they had a very diverse caucus under Harper, right? So the idea that diversity is a problem for them doesn't really make sense. And, you know, the, the thing with O'Toole is he, he completely buys into the liberal worldview and then wants to make a few tweaks. And I think that's that's the big problem he has, right? So he's constantly apologizing for the Conservative Party. He's constantly saying it needs to come, uh, change. He, he moves all the policy towards the liberals and towards the left. And he's obviously going to keep doing that, right? So with the carbon tax, I mean, it's not courageous to betray a promise, you know, and pledges you made to multiple people, multiple organizations, things you said in the leadership race, betray your membership, you know, lie to people. There's nothing courageous about that. It's just, it's opportunism and it's, you know, it's kind of politics at its worst. So he, he's gonna keep giving in to the liberals on every issue and then, and then think that works. It's funny though, he talks about the party needs to grow. I mean, they didn't grow at all last night. They got exactly what they did under Andrew Scheer. Scheer was attacked for being supposedly too conservative on some things, but I mean, did they do any better under O'Toole? Did they win in Ontario where he said he could win? Did they win the votes of the people he, I mean, his strategy was obviously to switch the votes, you know, to lose some right-wing votes and then gain some centrist votes. That didn't work. They didn't do better in the GTA and they didn't really improve anywhere. 
And in many ways, he may have made things worse because he's not only, you know, lost the election, but he also has really validated the, the left-wing liberal worldview. World he's basically said, yeah, they're right about everything, but I don't like how they manage uh, their, their, you know, the, the government, so I'm going to manage it a little differently, but I'm going to give in to them on basically every issue and play into their framing on every issue. So that's not really a win by any means for him, and to say, oh, I held them to a minority. I mean, a lot of organizations helped, you know, hold the liberals to a minority by pushing back on their lies, but I don't think you can give the Conservative Party any credit for that. Yeah, I, I, I think that one of the mistakes of Aaron O'Toole and, and the Conservatives is they not only were going to try and swap some of their, quote, excess votes in the West, yes. where they were winning super majorities. I, th I think the theory was we don't need to win by 75% in Alberta. Let's just get 45%. We'll win it. Even if we lose one or two seats, which they did yesterday, they lost yes. another one in Edmonton, another one in Calgary. Um, well, they'll make up for it by getting 10 in Ontario. And who wouldn't want that math? But that didn't really happen. And... In fact, they, they sacked a few candidates along the way for real cancel culture type moves. Like in Yukon, their mm -hmm. candidate in Yukon came within 153 votes last time of winning. But because he expressed concern for civil liberties during the lockdown, he was sacked. He ran as an independent. He didn't win. But the liberal won by default. There were a number of ridings where either O'Toole sacked the candidate and that happened, or the PPC candidate probably shaved enough votes off I remember when Stephen Harper took over the Conservative Party almost 20 years ago, and his first order of business was reunify it, unify the dissident Reform Party MPs, unify with Peter McKay. I, I sense that Aaron O'Toole does, not only doesn't want to reunify with the PPC voters, but he actually wouldn't mind throwing out a few more troublesome MPs like Cheryl Gallant, who he got to cork it, Dave Yurtiga from Fort McMurray he threw out. I just, I think he's got that cancel culture vibe that is not inherently conservative. What do you think? Yeah, I mean, I'm seeing some people tweeting that, oh, we need to keep, you know, getting rid of, as, as not my language, their language, or the yahoos and the conservative party. Right? That's, that's what people, some people have been saying. But then it's so hypocritical because I see some of those same people saying, oh, the PPC cost us the election. Well, you don't get to insult people, you know, call them extremists, push them out of your party, distance your party from them. And then when they do the logical thing, which is vote for somebody else, since they're obviously not wanted in one party, then you complain that they costed the election, right? It's the attitude of entitlement. Oh, we're entitled to whatever vote we think is somewhat right or center right, but we also get to insult you. And by the way, we're not actually going to give you any real policy changes or anything you want, but you have to vote for us anyway, right? Because we're the only alternative so I, just think that, I mean, I guess they're they're surprised that people voted for an alternative, but that's that's what is inevitable. I just wish the conservatives had been five percent more pro-freedom and anti-lockdown. Not even going full Ron DeSantis, but at least telegraph to voters out there: if you're concerned about civil liberties, if you think the lockdown's gone too far, come to us. We'll moderately oppose it. You don't have to be a full-blown, you know, freedom fighter. But just silence there. I think if O'Toole had shown a little bit of magnanimity, and I'm not even saying towards Maxime Bernier personally, but if he had just shown some magnanimity to the concerns of millions of Canadians, I think he would have grown his vote, probably held the PPC at bay, and probably picked up at least a handful more seats. Anyways, we'll have to see. It, it seems clear to me, though, even in the um, not even 12 hours since the results were finalized, pretty much. Um, I don't know if there's an appetite within either the Liberals or the Conservatives to change the leader. I know Christian Freeland and, of course, uh, Mark Carney 
and the liberals want to be leader one day, but I don't think either are going to make a move. And I don't see the same thing in the conservatives. I don't th see an appetite for throwing the leader aboard. Do you? Well, there's a lot of people on Twitter, certainly, who you know want O'Toole gone. And whether that translates to actual party membership remains to be seen. You can never be certain about what social media means. But I mean, it, it's going to be. It's. I think there's going to be a real fight. I'm sure there's a lot of MPs within the Conservative Party who have kind of chafed under the the very centralized, you know, rule that O'Toole's imposed. Have been pretty angry at the fact that they're being told to go out and sell a platform that they probably don't believe in. Probably watched a speech last night and said. Well, you didn't do any better than Andrew Scheer, but you keep saying how your approach is a winning approach, and it looks like you're going to go even more to the left, which, of course, will push more people to the PPC. So I expect there's going to be a civil war within the Conservative Party and a real fight. You know, Tool's going to fight to keep his job. I'm sure there's some people who are going to fight to try to, you know, subtly, you know, get him out of there, and we'll see what happens. Yeah, it'll be interesting, I tell you. These are very challenging days politically, and I think our political system has failed us. Uh, we'll try and do our best journalistically, and of course we have our Civil Liberties Project, and I really appreciate your website, spencerfernando.com. Thanks for your time, Spencer. Look forward to talking again soon. You're welcome. Have a good day. Right on. There you have it, Spencer Fernando of the self-titled spencerfernando.com. Stay with us. More ahead. Hello, my friends. Thanks for watching. Uh, we've been talking so much about Canada's election, which is appropriate. But as you know, we have a very active team down under, led by Avi Yamini. And uh, we have a new reporter in Sydney, Mario Malik. And we have another reporter based in Brisbane. So we're growing down there. We have a, a writer down under named Alexandra, not to be confused with Alexandra Lavoie up here in Canada. So we have a team down under. And they're just doing amazing work. So I, instead of reading letters today, I want to leave you with Avi Yamini's latest report. It's an incredible report, and I showed you a teaser of it the other day, filmed by Rukshan down there. Here's the trade unionists of Melbourne, construction workers, saying, we will not comply. One of them says, I'm sorry I'm a year late. I apologize for not standing by others, but I am now. It's, it's a touching video. It's incredible. Let me leave you with this. Here's Avi Yamini down under. Until tomorrow, on behalf of all of us here at Rebel News Network, good night and keep fighting for freedom like these lads are. Now, one thing I've got to say is to the nation of Australia, as a union member, I'm so sorry that we didn't stand up for all those shopkeepers and all those other people that have been trampled upon. And I feel disgusted that we were allowed to work during that time. So I do, I do apologise. But let's stand up as a nation. This is bullshit what's going on. And don't be tricked by the media, by the lies and the deceit. So John Sector promised he'll be out within an hour. They gave him an hour and a half. And then the crowd, the members said, their time is up and tried to storm the building. What does it mean, time is up? Time is up, man. We've waited long enough. We want to hear what the go is. We're sick and tired of waiting. No more bullshit. No, they're not stopping protests today? I'm dealing with something else at the moment. OK, that's a bit weird. There's a protest there. A couple of days ago, you guys smashed everyone for it. But a few days ago, they w they didn't stand down like that. Why do you think that's the change? Okay. Because they, they were happy to knock down 17-year-old right. women to yes. the ground and spray them in the face yeah, with pepper yeah, spray. That's, that's exactly why. right. And that poor woman, I don't know how she is now, but 
these guys won't take shit. We're construction workers. We're not protesters. Construction workers. We ain't taking it. Right. We won't put up with that. That could be our mother, our grandmother. All right? Simple. People losing everything they own, mate. Police taking a very different uh, tactic than we've seen over the weekend. Dif different enforcement. G'day. Is, that, is there a reason for that? Or? That day I saw him chase a, a dad with a little girl on his shoulders down the street for Richmond. Today, they look like they're wearing a Western democracy or something. By now, at any other protest, I would have been pepper sprayed. And today, I don't reckon even if the cops come and pepper sprayed, I am a, here, I'm a midget amongst men. So then the pepper spray ain't getting passed. Have you got your authorised CFMU media pass? <laughs> <laughs> you know that there's no 70 year old grandmas here? There's no 70 year old. So, no, so you're again, no. you're right. I think we're right, yeah. 99% angry young men, isn't that what they wanted? Angry young men? No ladies to push around even here. Old fellas. Yeah. Yeah. We're going to have to blur your face. Yeah. We need angry young men, that's all. <laughs> I'm an angry young man, alright. What made you guys today say enough is enough? We're going to hold them to account. They're stopping us from getting the going to our job unless we've got the jab. People who, unless from regional, you know, they can't travel to metro. They can't go, you know, vice versa. Regardless of jab status, we need to be mandatory 100% vaccinated to work as of next week. Do politicians need to be vaccinated to be in Parliament? Through our first COVID scare, right, we kept the building sites going, right? There was like four sites that shut down for three days. They cleaned their joint and they got everyone back to work. Right. Why can't they do that now? We should have hit these streets well over a year ago, mate. We should have locked the fucking city down and we should have been marching. This second is a fucking rat. He sold every one of us out. All the rights that all our older union members work for have all been taken away. We're just fighting for the right thing. At the end of the day, they're obviously in the wrong, hence why they won't show their face. Look at that. The boys in blue are here to take care of business. What do you reckon? They're going to take you on? No, nah, nah. There's no ladies for them to do no. That's what it is. Let us, let us work. We just want to work and feed our families. We've worked our asses off to get where we are, built our careers up, and all of a sudden we're going to lose fucking everything. We're all feeling very disappointed because we feel like we're being sold out by our union. We've fought for these rights for that many years, and what? Within a couple of weeks, it's just been stripped of us. Can the state of Victoria, normal Victorians, not those in the unions, can they rely on you guys now? Of course yes. they can. That's it. We still have hope if we all stand up together. All right, ladies and gentlemen, I think um, I think he's made your point. Either we stay here or we walk to Parliament where the problem is. How about that? Stay here. Here's the problem. They control the Parliament. The cops are blocked off the street. They're letting us alone. They're letting us talk to our union. If we march to Parliament. The cops will get involved. 100%. Leave the way! Leave the way! to lead the way. So you're not willing to go alone? You're saying, you've been there, all the protests, I've been there, they don't work. He's got to march them all. If this has been about the virus, why are all the government jobs been at 100% capacity every lockdown and every other job in Melbourne is 25%? We stand for every single industry. This is bullshit. This shouldn't be happening. This is wrong. Something is happening in Victoria that we haven't seen from the beginning of this pandemic. It's all about those getting paid off and done a backdoor deal with Dan Andrews. How much do you charge?
achieve, right, when we strike, to get better wages, fucking better conditions. Everything. We need every fucking amenity. What do you think? We We shut the industry down. Yeah. I guarantee you, more than half will be like, yeah, 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 and then come paid week, they're going to say, fuck, what have we done? Yeah, but come here and you show with separate, that's no good, bro. Then turn around and get all... Tell him to get on Facebook now and tell all the boys to get here and let's band together. We're a family. But we're not, we're divided. When you're getting paid well, it keeps you in check. So whilst you're getting the, the bacon, you just sit and eat, sit fat, and you're happy, happy days. But now they're seeing that it's coming to an end, so now people are starting to wake up and see what's happening. So what's just happened is uh, one of the protesters' union members has made a deal with the union bosses that he can go in and speak and represent the crowd. Tell them to walk with us to Parliament House, champ. Yeah, no worries, mate. We spoke to Johnny and Derek. You may not believe it. They're trying to give you answers. When you get answers off the boys, he'll come and talk to us. How long? About an hour. An hour. One hour, boys. One hour! One hour! We'll get answers! What do the socialists think of this? Uh, I'll give you a minute, but I want to hear what the socialists, how the socialists yeah, feel you, about you, the you people. Talk to a socialist to me. I, I want to hear what the socialist journalist thinks. The working class in Victoria has officially turned on the Labour government. Protesters now turn on the CFU. themselves from the crowd, the members that have said time is up while they've been standing outside. The so-called leader has been on the radio calling them extremists, which I believe is what was the catalyst for the violence just now. The riot police are moving in now with guns. Boys. The boys didn't provoke them. 
They walked out swinging, waited for the police to rock up, and then that was it. They got one on the ground. There's a full brawls going out here now between the union members and the union bosses. Come out of the way, come out of the way. When they started moving away, all the bikies jumped out and started having a one-on-one. -on -one. They wanted to go. But before the cops came, we were inside. They didn't want to know anything about it. It was wrong, mate. This is wrong. Many of the members here say this is not how they wanted the day to end. They were protesting here from 9am. They were promised that the leader would come out and uh, see them at, uh, what was it, 3.30. But at 4 o'clock they said, time is up and tried to storm it. Now the right police are here and through this whole day police didn't engage the crowd, allowed them to do what they were doing. Um, it was obvious, it's, it's still obvious, they don't want to engage them like they have with lockdown protesters that you've seen where they tackle 70 year old women. No one's been arrested here. These cops here, they should stay with the people. I've been in a line here. I've been, and I'm here. I've got the vaccination. I'm here for my kids. I'm not here for myself. Were you a Labour voter? Yeah, for Labour, yeah. So now this is the working class. These are Labour voters. Now, not voting Daniel Andrews again, are you? No, no way. No, not a chance. Traditionally, you're, you're all Labor voters. You, you voted for Daniel Andrews. So you're not voting him next year? What are you telling me? The, the working class now has officially turned against the Labor Party? Mate, I'm telling you right now, we've turned. You know why? Because they've turned their back on us. You can see from all the people around here, <laughs> Not on the job. <laughs> Give us five minutes, yeah, I'll be there. <laughs> we all pay thousands of dollars for him to stand up for our fucking rights. What's he done? Done a fucking backflip on us. He's a fucking dog. While we're down there chanting, we're fucking calling him to come out and talk to us for hours, and he's up there fucking talking to 3AW, calling us fucking extremists, rioters, not even part of the union. They see it from you, ticket, and fucking burn it. Yeah, they send out, they want their thousand dollars again for the fucking 12 months, they can shove it up their ass. Asking the man two months when to bring in the mandatory vaccinations, are you going to stand with the people? He was like, I don't think that'll happen. Don't think that'll happen. I said, I'm not asking you what you think. I'm asking when to bring in the mandatory vaccinations, what are you going to do about it? I don't think that'll happen in my opinion. Here we are today, enough said. You guys should be ashamed of yourself, I love you. I've got one serious question though. Which tradie are they gonna to get to fix their, their windows now? <laughs> <laughs> Settle down, I'm just here on behalf of John Sector. They're looking for a tradie that's willing to fix the windows. Uh, not me, mate, I'm an electrician. No, 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 no. Rebel News for the working class. You can get one of these at rebelstore.com. 100%. So behind us you have the union reps, I've seen some of them arming themselves and you have the remainder of the union members that have come here, you can see them armed. Um, I think police are coming in to separate the crowds before this escalates. Things are very tense here at the moment. Fuck those cunts! Fuck them! Fuck them! Sell out! Sell out! See, Harvey, what happened? 
they were still on the other line, right? They were there. We were all here because we seen this. They're now shooting the union reps. Police are now deploying. You fucking need to shoot the wrong way! The full story coming exclusively to FabulNews.com. Yeah, 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 I'm getting shit thrown. You guys get hit. No, we'll, we'll just stay in there. You happy in there, Yeah, we'll stay in there for a bit. Yeah. Thanks, mate. Thank you. I'll, I'll, go, I'll go that way because my car's out. I'm going. Go that way. See you later. No way, mate. Thank you. What a day this was. What started off as a very peaceful protest between union members to their bosses ended up in absolute mayhem with the bosses arming themselves and both sides being hit with uh, pepper spray and rubber bullets. But that's the story here, that's the reality. The community is divided and the unions are no different. What is happening in our community is dividing everyone, but I think this is a turning point because until now, police have not let any protests happen. But today, police, they had to let it go. And that was the first day they promised to be back again tomorrow. Avi Yamini for Rebel News in Melbourne, Australia. Make sure to like, comment, and share. And if you're anything like this, like that, love the truth, head over to your minireport.com, give us your name and email, and we'll send you the other side of the story from the front line.